I had the excellent job. I had people being like, you know, this is the job that we, we all want. Like, after you get this, like, I'm going to get something similar. I want to be on the same path as you. But me feeling a deep level of unfulfillment. I was disconnected from the people that we were helping. There was just not enough young people. I didn't feel like I was able to use that creative voice that I had developed. It took a really long time to make, like, the really difficult decision to leave. But ultimately, it was the best one that I had made. Welcome to The One Up Project. Money is fuel that, that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Kia ora everyone, welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. I haven't uploaded an episode for a little while and I am so happy to be back with such an amazing episode. I also missed uh, talking about Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori last week which is Māori Language Week so I hope we all learnt at least a few more words if you're not fluent in Te Reo and started embracing the language so much more in our everyday. I have been in a slightly weird space at the moment with my creative pursuits and I think just feeling a little bit unsure and doubting myself and just wanting to be the best and not feeling like I'm being the best version of myself and so then naturally you just pull away from everything that makes you happy (laughs) which is what I've been doing with the podcast and I have hated it I have felt so much more lost as a result and that's why it's important for me to come back to you today with a new episode that will spark some inspiration and will help to share a very important perspective and today's perspective we have on the podcast is that of Vera Parkey and Vera is she stands alongside me as another member of the Y25 cohort this year which is a group of young wahine and non-binary people who have been selected as a result of their contributions they make to Aotearoa and these pursuits these passions spread across so many different areas and I have felt a lot of imposter syndrome being in amongst this group of people because of just how incredible they are and how much they are teaching me and so I want to get as many of them on this podcast as possible and that starts with Miss Vera who I feel so lucky to have on today and she has graciously uh, trusted me and trusted this platform the One Up Project with her story. When I say Vera wears many hats I mean this girl is the hat connoisseur. It is crazy all of the things she gets up to. It is beyond admirable though. She is very inspiring. I think beyond labeling those different hats, which of course I will, I want to talk on her values and the important messages that came across in this episode. Um, That of creativity and storytelling and her love for the arts, poetry in particular, um, and advocacy. Vera is a first generation Congolese New Zealander raised and based in Tamaki Makoro or Auckland. Her love for the arts intersects with her love and passion for feminism, global politics, race and African identity. So she grew up in a space where she watched her parents navigate refugee spaces and I guess how they approached developing their own identity in a new place and that very much 
influenced her perspective, of course, and the questions she started to ask as she grew up, as she entered school. And she wanted answers to those questions and reasons for those injustices or inequalities we see so often uh, within Aotearoa, of course, but also globally. She is a young ambassador for UNICEF Aotearoa, and if you listened to our episode with the CEO of UNICEF Aotearoa not too long ago, Michelle Sharp, you would know that she spoke extremely passionately about the power of the young ambassadors and all the things that they are doing. So I think that's awesome that she is a part of that. She's also a youth advisory panel co-chair for Auckland Council and in amongst this finds time to be a programming coordinator at Basement Theatre. As you guys know, I love passionate people. I love people with a purpose and who approach their career, their life with intention and with conscious thought around pursuing that passion and that is definitely what Vera does and I think one of my favorite things about her is that she can take two seemingly very different fields the arts and politics or activism or advocacy and find where each of those can influence and teach the other one and that was really a a big part of what I wanted to learn about Vera is how all those parts of her life and all of those loves intersect uh, to define what she does today and how she's curated that within her career. She gave me a lot to think about and I really appreciate her openness in this episode and look forward to hearing what all of you think. All right, let's jump into it. Vera, I feel so lucky to have you on an episode of The One Up Project today. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm feeling very well, very rested, excited to come into the space today as well. Oh, I love that. Well and rested. That's a really nice, calming way to feel. I love the energy you're bringing. <laughs> the the only way to be when you live a busy life, you really want to be well and rested. <laughs> yes, no, 100%, especially with everything you have going on. And I'm sure the emotional toll that can take on you as well, which I'm very much looking forward to getting into. Um, and so to start that conversation, I'd really like to hear from you Uh, what has fueled your passion for so much societal change and progress? Well, for me, it's never really felt like much of a choice and it never felt like that big, the label of like trying to make societal changes. So when I started off in my journey with advocacy, it was me in high school seeing the issues in my community and just wanting to talk about it with other people. And whether that was people who were in my position, so people who had lived experiences of displacement, being a refugee, holding migration stories, or people who wanted to listen so things could get better, I was just wanting to have those conversations with people. And then slowly it snowballed into a lot more um, robust conversations in a lot of places of a lot of influence. So um, talking with like ministries and other government agencies to make those changes really real. Um yeah, so it came out of my own lived experience, wanting to make things better for my community and people who held my lived experiences. And then it kind of just kept going from there. Yeah, and, and so you said you really wanted to have those conversations in school. So you were quite young at this point. So w- was that influenced through those experiences you had in childhood, even before school? Yeah, no, for sure. I know for me, I had kind of been kind of just collecting all of these things that I'd been going through and wanting to talk about them and having nowhere to go with it. And then Mm. when it got to the point where I was getting exposed to debating and politics and really finding my voice, you know, starting to write poetry, all of a sudden I had all of these different things I wanted to talk about that I'd never really had the opportunity to do so. So it was kind of a big, like, like a dam, like breaking essentially. 
Yeah, well, I can imagine. Can you give us like an example of something that, you know, when you did something you wanted to have a conversation about and you remember thinking, hmm, I'd really like to just open up this conversation or this discussion because I don't see many people talking about it. Ooh, for sure. I was really keen to have bigger conversations about race and about ethnicity in New Zealand. You know, I, I hold a lot of um, hold a lot of like conflicted feelings about not only being black, but being an African migrant in New Zealand. And how do I situate myself and find an identity that honors where I've come from, but honors where I live right now. And I know I'm a part of like the first generation of people who not born, but are raised in New Zealand and really see New Zealand as home because I know my parents definitely wouldn't say that. Um, So it's about kind of like finding what that identity looks like for me. And I've been eager to have that conversation for a very long time. And I think more Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager, I was just very eager to like have someone tell me what it's meant to look like to be this way or someone to model what my identity was going to look like as an African New Zealander. And now I got, I've gotten to the point where it's just me doing it on my own. But, oh, that conversation I had been eager to have for, like, a while. Oh, yeah, I can completely imagine how you would be in some kind of, especially initially growing up when you're younger, and you sort of, at that point, maybe only have your close-knit community or your family to speak to about it, that that would create a lot of confusion uh, amongst who you are, what you're supposed to be doing, and where you go from there. Oh, for sure. And my parents don't even consider themselves New Zealanders, even though they've been here for Mm. 20 years. So really finding those really important people that I could build a connection with to have those conversations, but now in a position where I can have them quite publicly, which I really, really love. Yeah, it is so amazing. I was going to ask, how were what, what was people's reactions to you wanting to have those initial conversations? Do you remember feeling like that was an accessible a thing for you to talk about or it was quite difficult people didn't want to have those conversations what was sort of the reaction to that it was really mixed I know that um you know I'm, I'm Congolese and a lot from my community has a lot to do with kind of keeping your business to yourself keeping things really private you know you don't want to lay all your cards out and for me it was a mix between people acknowledging that I had something to talk about that you know it takes a lot of courage to do so but also not wanting to have personal business out in the open for people to look at. So I was definitely weighing Mm. those two different things. But what I found for myself that being open, laying my business out there has only led to stronger forms of community, finding people who are going through things like me and us building really strong relationships and really being allowed to blossom and grow in that way. So I, I always have to say that I have to just kind of look past the potential I guess a little bit of fuckama, a little bit of the fear about what it looks like to be really open and honest and vulnerable, expressing yourself and your experiences, because what you gain from it, the community, kind of that healing, it's too, too important. Mm. It's really interesting because I also find that, you know, the that vulnerability is the key to connection in so many ways. And especially when you're talking about things like the challenges with identity, Mm-hmm. opening up about anything within your life kind of helps establish what connections you can make with other people and how your identity fits into different things because for you that would have been such a difficult journey of the pull between where you were where you are now and where you might be in the future right because you're kind of not battling I don't know what the right term would be for it but there is a pull between these different versions of yourself that you could be for sure for sure yeah, it's, it's it's one that it's really hard 
because it's constantly evolving. So like that identity is not a static state. It really does get to extend past. And it goes really beyond the point of like labels. It's really interesting. If you come from like a refugee or migrant background, there's a lot of different like government labels that get put on you, whether you're Mm. a refugee, an asylum seeker, a permanent resident, a citizen. And I've been able to float through all of those labels. I've had them all at one point or another. And now it's kind of acknowledging that my identity is just going to have to keep evolving, that I'm not going to hit a point where it's going to feel right and just still and welcoming that evolution. Mm. Do you think at the start when you did have these labels put on you in many ways that you felt like you needed to attach yourself to one of them? Or did you always feel like you weren't any of them? Oof. I mean, it's. I think it was just a challenge about how much I could al- allow those labels to affect me. Because mm. for me, it was a mix between, yes, that does describe parts of my identity, but that's not everything. And I found with those labels, they tended to be all consuming. And it was hard to really be like, that is me, but also all of these other things, being an artist, having a creative practice, you know, like being the person who likes to sleep in on the weekends, like all of these different <laughs> things are also me. But um, a lot of labels don't allow for that space and that nuance. Mm, I can relate to that so much. I think that sentiment is something that so many different people, in fact, everyone could resonate with in the sense that life, it isn't black and white. And often people apply this lens of like, are you this or are you that? Uh, Do you feel this way or do you feel that way? But the reality of of so many situations is that you might feel both or neither and you don't know how to kind of articulate that in a way that makes sense to you and so with identity I think you're absolutely right that it's ever evolving and and people in any kind of stage of their life might feel like they are attached to certain labels and it's about maybe breaking free from that mindset that you have to be one thing or the other you can actually be everything at once or none of those at all for sure yeah you, we were talking about before how you've got so much on uh, yeah. all the time. And from what I can tell, it, it seems like you've definitely carved your career and your life around the things that you're passionate about. Uh, and you focus your time on things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. How have you managed to go about that? Like, was that something you just fell into, into this advocacy space and, and, I guess following your passions helped you get into different things which led to another or was this an intentional journey for you? I think I fell into it and slowly started to develop the intention. So coming out of high school, getting exposed to politics, advocacy, I knew that was a core interest of mine and I was exploring all the different ways that I could really capture that. So whether it was through volunteering, going to events, just kind of getting exposed to that world more and more. But there was a period of time where I was just taking every single opportunity that came my way and unceremoniously, just anything someone came to me, it was a yes, automatically. Mm. And I found that that was a time where I was deeply looking for something. I was looking for a purpose. I was looking for motivation, a guidance, some type of point, like an anchor almost to where my life was going to go, where my career was going to go. And over time, and I I have to credit the pandemic for a lot of this because it really had, it had forced me to strip back a lot of what I thought was important and allowed me to really align my my values Mm. that 
the core part was that I was making a positive social impact and that I was allowed to use my creative voice in doing so. So for me, it became about arts and it became about advocacy in this very specific way and doing it with people who were coming with lived experiences, doing it with people who wanted to disrupt systems, doing it with people who were really keen on developing a better world. And when you get into this advocacy space, you'll you'll get to know that there's a bunch of different type of people who are already working there. And there are a lot of people who are already quite jaded. You know, mm. I had a stint working in the public sector, working um, in, in the health space. And it is tough to be, quote unquote, an innovator, a creative thinker in an institution as old and as rigid as health. And mm. you're up against people who, in my experience, had more working professional experience than I had being alive and trying to tell them you know maybe you should try this maybe you should try that it didn't go well Mm. so for me it made me realize how important the people I was working with were as well as what I was doing and I would be extremely happy in a world where as, as long as the people and I had the same vision and like we were on the same path it didn't really matter the title that I had as long as we we had that kind of sense of community so it was, you know, falling through, doing a lot of things, I would say, quote unquote, the wrong way, but the way that things needed to happen so I could develop this focus and then really aligning myself with, you know, community, with vision, with that creativity, and then with that positive social impact. And that's how I kind of sit and align all of my work today, because across the board, it could look like I'm just doing a lot of different random things. But, you know, in my mind, I really hold that core vision and in, in in my head about what I'm trying to achieve with my career. Mm, mm. And that clarity brings you personally so much peace, I think, because it sounds like we have almost had a similar, like high level way of doing that, where mm-hmm. I was the same saying yes to everything very much like let's just take every opportunity that came at me and then through that process working out what I value, what's high on the priority list and carving things around that but there was something you you mentioned that I think is a really important thing to touch on and that is you know coming into a structure that as you said was so rigid trying to make suggestions through your own lived experience and putting your emotionally draining lived experience into a space that is extremely structured as you say with so many systemic barriers that in itself would take so much for anyone to do and to be a part of, as well as everything else you had going on. So for that in itself, how did you, like what were some of the first emotions you remember feeling feeling entering that space the first time? How did you navigate that? Ooh, um, I know that it started off with a lot of pride because for the longest time I'd really wanted to be a public servant, working in government was my end goal. So the fact that I got this government job and I was like flying to Wellington all the time, I was feeling like very, very grateful to just be in that position. And over the time that I had spent in that organization, I was starting to feel really jaded by one, the professionals that I was working with who had been in the space for a very long time and who were very comfortable with the fact that there wasn't going to be the positive changes that we wanted to see. And that was coming from, you know, their experiences, knowing the system, working in the space, going through different um, government changes. They were sitting and they were very comfortable with the fact that things were probably going to stay the same, even though my job in, in essence was trying to make things better. 
So it shifted from this, you know, I'm just so happy to be here to being, well, why am I here? If I actually can't achieve the changes that I want to see in the system, if I can't make things better Mm -hmm. for young people who are trying to navigate their mental health and the mental health system at large. And that really fell into this level of like despondence because I had the excellent job. I had people being like, you know, this is the job that we, we all want. Like after you get this, like I'm going to get something similar. I want to be on the same path as you, but me feeling a deep level of unfulfillment because I was working in an institution that didn't have my people. Like I'm pretty sure at the time that I was there, there was only three people under the age of 26 and we were representing all young people in that space. Mm. And, you know, it was it was just this disconnect where I was like, I was disconnected from the people that we were helping. There was just not enough young people. I didn't feel like I was able to use that creative voice that I had developed. And I didn't feel the positive social impact that I was making. And those are now the three things that I absolutely needed in my work. So it took a really long time to make like the really difficult decision to leave. But ultimately, it was the best one that I had made. Mm, yeah it also sounds like within that you were dealing with people who as you mentioned were jaded but then it sounds like there was a bit of complacency there as well for sure for sure and I can't even blame them when they've been working in kind of that state for let's say 20 30 40 years for some of them like this is what they know to be true their status quo is just their working life Mm, yeah and that's it's frustrating but it sounds like you're also empathetic to it. But at the same time, while you're there, a fresh perspective trying to make change, I can imagine would be incredibly hard to each day push through and be like, we're just going to keep going and bring that inspiring voice. With yeah, it. for sure. And it's also, it's interesting because people aren't like, be quiet, we don't want to listen to that. It's people being like, wow, you're, like, you're absolutely right. Like your perspective, everything is what, we really love that. And then no tangible changes being made Mm. after the fact and being repeatedly asked to deliver workshops and presentations and do all of this work that eventually went nowhere. Mm. It's so difficult. And so that was one of the reasons that pushed you out of that role. Yeah. And that was really the, I think like the final push I needed to really come into the creative art space professionally and really invest in my own creative practice. Mm, that is something I want to talk about is your passion for the arts and how that sits um, hand in hand with your advocacy work uh, and like the kind of um, connections between both of those things how did you have you always been interested in the art space and like poetry and everything I mean I've been writing for as long as I can remember and I, I started to get into poetry around the same time that I was getting into politics. So it was very mm. intertwined, even in its inception. Yeah, well, I think I want to talk about this year's election for a second, yeah. <laughs> because I want to talk about my frustration with never feeling fully engaged with politics. Mm, yeah. And this is coming from someone who finds it difficult to engage talking to someone who is very politically engaged and I want to hear your perspective on how the arts can be used to better communicate politics I think like there's one thing one thing that I find really frustrating when it comes to the elections is that half of the language used a lot of the time especially 
for youth is, is hard for the average person to understand. Yeah. Like, I'm not, what's the relevance of the Reserve Bank doing this thing and mm-hmm. that other thing happening? I need it to be broken down for me. And I think I want to be involved. I want to get amongst it, but I find it difficult. And it's people like you who inspire me to get more engaged because I see that you are out there, you are doing the work. Um, and so from your perspective, what do you think can help create that change? And do you think the arts play a part in that and maybe a performance or a more accessible language kind of way? Oh, you're, you're asking the questions that I've been asking like myself for the past couple of years because I come from, like my family's not very political at all. And it's just been me going, please, please get engaged and finding all of these different ways to kind of get my family, my members of the community to be more kind of in tune with what's going on. For me, the arts is a really strong example of just finding a way in, right? Mm. So my first introduction with politics came through like debating, but it also came through slam poetry. And it was people talking about their lived experience in this really powerful way, using language, all of these different flourishes in a way that really tickled my ear that I hadn't really heard of before. So arts was my through fare. And then I became to see all the different ways that arts talked about politics in these really interesting ways. So whether it was through film, through through television, through theater, you can kind of see the way politics interacts with all of it. I offer that the arts is a way to really allow for that storytelling to capture people's attention because politics is really easy to kind of glaze your eyes at because mm. the way that it's presented it's so stale. It is so academic. It can be so through the the pillars of academia that makes it deeply inaccessible to so many people. But you find the different pockets that make sense to you. Um, I'll give the example of my sister. She is someone who has never been engaged in politics her entire life. And no matter how much I had been yelling or anything, <laughs> no matter how many pamphlets I give her, she was never interested until she started working and started to have questions about the working environments that she had. And she wanted to talk about how to make them better. And her through fear to politics was about learning about unions and looking about employment rights. There is that type of thing for literally everyone. And I don't like the the current setup, which is that to be into politics, you have to care about taxes and you have to care about this and you have to care about housing. You find the things that you care about, and if you want to understand them better, politics is going to be a natural through fear for that. If you're interested in the arts and you want to make a career, you'll go through and you'll realize, wow, there's not a lot of national or regional arts funding. How can we actually you know, make that better? You understand arts policy from different political parties, and then that's how you know you learn more. If you're a person who is interested in sports, you look at how people invest money in sports on a national and regional level. And then you can go into different organizations who work with governments to make it better. And, you know, you can find all these different alleyways into politics because it's really everywhere. So my encouragement is never, you know, you go to News Hub and you read all of the articles or you go here and you read all of this. The things that you are passionate about, get yourself more informed on them because politics is literally everywhere. I always say that we're the fish, politics is the water. No matter where you go, you're going to be engaged. If you care about public transport, if you care about having a safe, dry house to live in, if you care about, you know, what it's going to look like to live on this planet in 20, 30 years, those are all political. So just follow the things that you care about. Politics will follow. Mm, That is such great advice. I think because, you know, typically 
I can start to feel shame around if I'm not across every political conversation. And I love that, you know, you're saying just find the bits that you're passionate about because I think so many of us can think, oh, well, if I'm not going to have an opinion on every single new policy that's brought out in every single different industry, then there's no point even getting involved at all because I am obviously stupid and don't know what I'm saying or what I'm talking about. And that's the dominant narrative around politics, right? They they make it seem like people who are allowed to be engaged have to be across all the issues, they have to know all the politicians, and they have to have a really strong stance. And that's just not the reality. Care about the things that you care about. And if it turns out that there's more that you care about, that's excellent. But if it's still that limited range, that's also really, really fine. And the big thing I'll always say is that politicians have researchers, they have speechwriters, they don't even know all that they're talking about, you know, (laughs) they have whole teams of support, and you're just one person. So people shouldn't one hold themselves to those standards, allow yourself to be a novice, we are all novices, especially Mm. in the political space, and two, realize that there will always be limitations. 100%, 100%. It's so interesting how these things translate into different spaces, because Obviously, this podcast started talking about financial literacy and the inaccessibility of financial literacy. And there's so much shame around talking about money because people think that they should know these things by X age. And when they don't, it's like, oh, my God, wow, how have I gone this many years in my life? I don't want to bring it up now because it's so embarrassing. And I think politics is very similar in that way that you think if you don't have an opinion, if you if you don't have that like context as to what's going on, then you may as well not be a part of the discussion at all. But that's what keeps people out. And that's what has kept people out of these conversations for so long. Um, And like you're saying, finding those small pockets is where it can start. And you'll probably find that you'll become more engaged once you actually find something you care about, even if it's something that has nothing to do with what you would typically think politics talks about, which might be, say, I don't even know, like, interest rates for example it might be something completely different but you think all that all that politics talks about is a business or things that you don't understand it doesn't have to be about that oh absolutely not if you care about your local parks and playgrounds you're interested in politics if you care about your Mm. local swimming pool you care if you care about having really nice even driveways to drive on as you're coming into your house you care about politics and it's about expanding that narrative to include all those things so more people feel that they can have an opinion because they should have an opinion because it's literally all of our lives. Yeah, no, too true. I fully agree with that. I think another really important piece um, that probably doesn't get talked much about but is relevant to politics is the importance of language and communication. And as a passionate poet yourself, I'm sure you would very much understand um, the power of words. Mm -hmm. And so... I would love to know, like, is there anything you, is there any frameworks you use? And it might just be your natural talent. So feel free to share, share that with us. But, you know, is there anything you use to help you communicate an idea better so that people can understand it? Um, I think my automatic uh, tendency is to communicate ideas using the natural world. So in any way that I can relate it to either the earth, the water, that tends to be how I, I like to frame it. For me, it's mm. about finding the universals that everyone can relate to. So if we're talking about like big political ideas, if any way that I can bring it down, make it something a lot less abstract and something that someone has experienced, that always tends to be like my number one way to start off that conversation. 
Mm, yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. I do, I ask both selfishly and out of curiosity <laughs> for myself because I think when I'm trying to do podcasts, I'm always trying to find a way to make information more accessible. In general, just communicating with friends, I'm trying to find a way to make what I'm saying more accessible so that I think better communication just ultimately leads to closer relationships in general because you can easily be more clear about what you're trying to say, more vulnerable, more correct um, in terms of what you actually are feeling and meaning. And that can only lead to good things. So using the natural world is, is something I haven't actually heard much before, but I think metaphors uh, across the natural world are so, uh, what's the word? Well, they're so easy to understand. We all get them. Yeah. And you know, we live on an island. I feel like there's something <laughs> about being here that makes me just so so inclined to think of kind of like the trees, the water, uh, just the land in general as a way to understand these these big ideas. And I know that I found that in conversations with my parents, in conversations with people who are less politically inclined, it's not, uh, it's about communicating the spirit of what I want to say rather than the exacts. Mm -hmm. You know, once we're on the same page about what we're talking about, whether it's about children's rights in New Zealand, you can expand from that further. So it's just about creating this foundation where people are on the same page. Communicating the spirit of what you want to say. That is special. I like that. Can I ask you how you define personal success? That answer has definitely changed a lot over the past couple of years. I think now personal success to me looks like contentment and it looks like community. And originally, I used to be very much, and this will probably come out of any person who has spent a lot of time, you know, in school, or has been like a quote unquote, high achiever, that it had been about like grades, or it had been about money or titles. And I was in a particular space where I, I was sitting with some nice hefty titles, and I had a really nice job. And I felt deeply unfulfilled. I felt deeply unfulfilled because my work wasn't aligned with my current sense of purpose. And I felt like I was kind of working at it alone for the most part. And I didn't even realize at that time that those were so important to me. For me, I was like, oh, well, you know, the job eventually will lead to a positive social impact. Oh, I'm meeting cool colleagues who I will eventually work with in the future. Um, but it wasn't enough. So now that I've kind of made that shift where that the people that I'm working with are, you know, incredibly devoted and dedicated to their own craft, whether that's an art or advocacy, and that I feel like I'm doing something good for people and planet, that I'm finding that that has to be the metrics for my personal success. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, that if you have wanted something for a very long time, whether it's an opportunity or an award or a title, and then you get it. And you feel good for like five minutes and then that feeling immediately dissipates and you just move on to the next thing. Mm. Changing this, these metrics of personal success means that I can actually hold on to that feeling for a lot longer. That sense mm. of achievement, that sense of, I did it. I can actually hold it in my chest and really appreciate it. Mm, mm. Yeah. And that sounds like, I suppose you're able to appreciate the journey to get there in the get in the achieving of the thing, which helps prolong that feeling as opposed to only being content in the achievement of the thing, if that makes sense. Exactly. It's that appreciation <laughs> in the journey for sure. It's about process and product, not just product. When you mentioned the feeling of 
when you achieve something, you finally get that thing that you've always wanted and then you have that feeling for about five minutes and it dissipates. I think something that's really helped um, me overcome that kind of feeling is that I've been doing this podcast now for the last three, almost four years coming up in Jan, which Jan, I keep saying is so far away, but it's actually not even that far away now. It'll be here tomorrow. (laughs) Oh yeah, it will be here tomorrow. Um, So yeah, it'll be four years having these conversations in January. And what's always been really important to me is finding the patterns and themes within what people say, because your experience could be polar opposite to someone else. But often there will be emotions that come through as a result of an experience that is similar to someone else. Uh, and something, and I think that just helps us connect more because it shows us that we don't experience feelings in isolation, even if the um, exact experience in itself was different to someone else. Uh, and one of those experiences is people achieving things and feeling unfulfilled in that moment and so I've had so many conversations now with people who have told me that exact thing that I've really tried to carve my personal definition of success uh, not by milestones but by kind of gradual consistent progress over time Um, and so I think that the reason I bring that up is because I want to mention to the people listening that Vera has touched on something that so many other people have also mentioned about their own experiences. And we really need to listen to that experience and, you know, use that within our life ongoing. Yeah, for sure. Because even I had heard it before, but it wasn't until I went through that process Mm -hmm. of achieving the things I thought I wanted that I thought would be incredibly fulfilling and still feeling quite empty afterwards that Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, everyone was correct. Like, this isn't just like, you actually have to shift your mind about how you define what success looks like for you. Yeah. And it's hard. It's definitely hard to do, right? Like I can say we all really need to listen and do it, but it's not until often you go through these experiences yourself that it fully resonates, but it's just to take that little bit of, of a breadcrumb from your experience that you've just spoken about. And just think about it. Just the next time you attach like that value of success to an achievement, to a title, to a certain amount of money, to whatever. Just Mm -hmm. think about that in the back of your mind. Like what kind of long-term happiness or joy is this going to bring into your life? Now, there was a quote you had in the Y25 booklet um, that I really loved. And it was about not running away from the fear of being bad because this is how things always start. And that's a value that I very much try to encompass within the podcast something I've always said from the start is like I want this these conversations to be a safe a safe space to ask the in air quotes dumb questions you know I want people to let go of that fear of failure and understand that getting things wrong is actually a really great thing and it's an opportunity to learn and if we can remove the shame from that I think we can move so much further ahead as like a society in general um so for you speaking to your quote directly how has letting go of that fear helped you oh it's absolute freedom I think acknowledging the ways and I I say it to myself in like a loving way like you kind of suck because like you (laughs) kind of have to suck like you you yes awful position like I read old poems and I'm like, like so cringy. Mm. I really wish this didn't exist. I think about the old ways I tried to organize and mobilize and it was awful. I remember like 
the very first event I tried to pull together and have people talk about like art and advocacy, I got four people. I got four people and I was like, don't ever bring this up to me again. I never <laughs> talk about this experience. This never happened. I'm like, the last thing I organized, I got like 300 people and I had to mm. find water funding. Like it's all a journey, but I had to just allow space for me to be bad because like how else I'm never going to start being perfect. And even if I did comparatively, I would be bad in comparison to where I'd be four years from now. So just welcoming that as my starting position. And I have seen that not only in my work, but in my personal experiences, I've been a bad sister. I've been a bad friend. I've been a bad daughter. Mm. And I am so much better now because I have to learn from those experiences. Mm, I resonate with that 100%. I completely agree with you. Um, And if someone ever tells me they listened to the first episode of this podcast, I literally (laughs) just can't even talk to them. I'm like, no, you've seen me in a whole different light. (laughs) I'm a whole different person. People who knew me in high school, I'm like, you're all entitled to financial compensation. I'm so sorry. (laughs) This is a new season of me. We've got new writers. (laughs) Yes, 100%. The whole thing has been refreshed and revamped. Rebrand has come in strong. But, you know, you, you keep those old versions of you. You keep those memories. You keep those poems. You keep those podcasts because they represent that growth. And I think it's only positive to to look at it from from that lens um, that we are the best version of ourselves and we're making that conscious choice to be that every single day so that when we look back we're no longer that person and that's almost the best thing we could say is that we are completely different and that we are embarrassed even of those old things because they represent uh, the amount of change and conscious change that we've made in our lives yeah for sure it means we've blossomed totally right um and so advocating for you and advocating in general in any space can become extremely exhausting and we've spoken about a little bit about this at the start I don't fully believe in the concept of balance because I think it's going to look different for everyone um, and you can never achieve that perfect balance it's unrealistic and it, it, as I said uh, different versions of balance will occur in different people's lives but for you personally how do you balance the energy exchange within all that you do, especially with something that can be so emotionally draining and take so much from you and and you have to pull out your own lived experience? How do you manage that? Um, Well, for me, it kind of comes in like two prongs. One, it's like how I operate professionally and then the other is how I take care of myself. Mm. Professionally, I do not put myself in spaces where I think my lived experience will not be carried well. And that's Mm. just the first thing going in before I even enter the space. When someone comes to me with an opportunity or it's coming through work, I have to assess who's asking me. I have to understand where the story is going to be. I have to understand who's going to be in the room. There's a lot of care that I take in preparation of even entering that space because I have had experiences. I know other people in my community have had these experiences of being really honest, being really vulnerable with people who don't know how to hold hold that. They don't know Mm. what to do with those stories. It ends up in a report that ends up in someone's whatever folder that never gets looked at again. And you're doing a lot of emotional labor for very little in return. And this Mm. doesn't even have to come in like a financial sense, but in the, they're not even meeting you emotionally where you're coming to. Mm -hmm. So I I always operate from that level of awareness that I'm only entering into those spaces with a high level of care. 
especially if we're talking about refugee and migrant stories. Um, secondly, I always find it really important to kind of, um, when I'm leaving that space, how do I check in with myself? How am I feeling after that experience? You know, are there things that I said that I feel like I shouldn't have said? Did I feel like I gave too much? I gave too little? And that's just a conversation I have with myself. So allowing myself to check in. Uh, another beautiful thing that I like in this space is I've really cultivated the confidence to just tell people when I don't want things to be included. Because mm. sometimes, you know, you get into it, you do a bit of an overshare and then you go, oh my Absolutely. gosh, I, I told them that that was way too much. I always send the email after, hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. Cut this piece out. I would prefer if that wasn't included. And just allowing myself to set boundaries wherever I feel them, even if it feels like, quote unquote, inconvenient for them. I, I always remind myself, like, this is their work, usually a report of some kind. This is my life. I'm allowed to set those boundaries. I need to set those boundaries to be safe. So for me, it comes with that. I've come into this very strong safeguarding era where I'm protecting myself, my energy, and my stories, where they're going, and how they're handled. Hmm. Mm. I love that so much. That that protection piece, I'm sure, didn't come without having to navigate initial feelings of, as you said, potential guilt, and then going back. Well, no, actually, this is my lived experience, as well as having an awareness of how you actually feel about talking about that. Um, and it's a shame that this comes as a result of people not being able to meet you emotionally where you're at in that story and support that in the right way. Um, although I think it's very admirable that you're completely aware of what you need and put those boundaries very clearly in place as well. Yeah, and now it's a conversation that I get to have with people who are younger than me who are entering these spaces for the first time and, you know, pulling them aside and talking to them, being like, okay, who has told you about this opportunity? Are there going to be other young people? How many adults are going to be in the room? How are they recording mm. this information? Do you get to see it before it goes into wherever it's going? Are you getting remunerated? Are they paying for your transport? Like all of these little things to make sure that they are being a lot safer than I was starting out and then allowing them to develop their own practice. That's amazing. You've given me so much to think about and consider actually for myself moving forward and I think for my own personal development as well. And I think it's a really beautiful place to end the podcast. Vera, thank you so much for having for giving me your time um, and for opening up in our space here at the One Up Project. We really appreciate it. And I know Ibran values having your story here. Is there anything you want to plug before we end the episode? Uh, the stage, the floor is yours. Amazing. So I wear 10,000 different hats. So I'm going to try to run through this quickly. Um, definitely big plug to Basement Theatre, home of arts and culture for emerging artists in Tamaki Makoto. Big love. And I get to work there as the artist champion, making sure that our artists feel supported and loved when they come into our whare. Big shout out to Auckland Council. A lot of work that I get to do is as co-chair for the youth advisory panel. So making sure that our city is looking after our rangatahi and tamariki. Big shout out to UNICEF, where I get to be a young ambassador with six other amazing other young people. And we have the opportunity to go over to COP28 in Dubai in December. So hopefully Ooh. we also get to capture some more youth voice before we head over and really represent Aotearoa the way that we need to. Inspiring stories where I get to sit on the youth advisory board, 
doing a lot of excellent work to make sure that young people feel like they are empowered to be the change makers that they are in their hearts and that they have the resources to do it really, really well. And New Zealand Young Writers Fest in Dunedin. I'm really keen and very excited to be there as not only a panelist, but a panel moderator talking about podcasting because we love the medium. Yes. And talking about uh, tackling imposter syndrome as a young writer of color. So lots of interesting things, but those are the ones I'm going to plug as of right now. You're amazing. You do so much. Um, I can't wait to continue watching the journey and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for making the space for me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.